the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. It's a delight to welcome back to Roy Murdoch. He is a Fox News contributor, a contributing editor at National Review Online, and a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research. To Roy, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Seth, great to be back with you again. You betcha. That London Center, is that the old, is that named after Herb London? You're absolutely correct. Uh, People hear London Center and they think it's something... few feet away from Buckingham Palace or something like that. It's actually <laughs> named after Herb London, the late, great uh, Dr. Herb London, yeah. a PhD, a great friend of mine yeah. who was an American patriot, a scholar, a man who wrote something like 31 or 32 books, Yeah, an expert on anything you can imagine, smart guy, fun guy, uh, charming, delightful, and uh, unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago at, I believe, age 79. He didn't quite Too age, young. So. Yeah, I knew him a bit. His daughter a became... Man. Yeah, his daughter became quite a star in her own right, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he had a little bit of a musical recording career in the 50s, maybe, as well. Uh, that's true. He was... Uh, before he became uh, a major intellectual, uh, he ran the Hudson Institute. He founded the Gallatin Division at New York University. Uh, early on in his career, he actually had a uh, hit record back in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, Played basketball for Columbia University. Yeah, he was really a man for he all. Did every, he did yeah. every. He did it all. Yeah, I, mean, he, uh, I don't think he painted or sculpted, but that's about the only thing he did. He, he might have. We'll know. We'll find mm-hmm. out. Anyway, we're daughter, here to talk his about daughter, you. daughter uh, went on to make uh, make a, a name for herself as kind of a fashion. Yeah. Um, I want to say, sort of like, I don't know, I don't know the world so a well. Fashion sort of guru of sorts. Stacy, was it? Yeah. Stacy, maybe? Maybe Stacy? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, he's a great man. Well, we praise him very men. much. And you're a great man, too, DeRoy. Thank oh, you. Thank you, you wrote much. a piece uh, about uh, a couple weeks ago that I've been meaning to get to in my, in my stack. Uh, Democrats have messed up everything. Stop voting for them. I don't think you used the word <laughs> messed up, but uh, trying to be a family show here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> take your pick. You go down this list, and boy, I'll tell you, this would be a, a just, just this. This should be the template for the the 2022 campaign, from the border to in, the economy and energy to crime to education and race relations. You even talk about – you use a word I've been using more lately, Deroy, and I never used to. You use the word totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone the other day, smart to me – the other day, a few months ago, smart to me, said, you know, everyone's saying authoritarianism. Everyone is saying autocracy, tyranny. It's really totalitarianism. And I went back and was reading some old Leo Strauss, some old Hannah Arendt. They're right. I'm glad you used that word. You want to say something about it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you've got it totalitarian in a couple of respects. One is that the Democrats are not happy unless they're barking orders at us from when we get out of bed in the morning till we crawl back into our beds at night. Uh, they want to tell you what kind of a car to drive, what kind of energy will be in that car, where are going to work, with how many employees, and whether they do or take, whether they do or not take a vaccine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you can travel, what you can do on a plane, what kind of food you can eat. I mean, there's not a... Every part of your life is the point. Every, Every part, part of your life. Of your life. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not like the old days. They'd say, well, we're going to tax you. We're going to take some money and give it to the poor people. Right. Other than that, we'll leave you alone. Right. Uh, now they, they're doing all these other things. They're, they're pumping the kids' minds with uh, critical race theory and, and how to you know, hate each other. And uh, uh, they're involved in, uh, with their, well, not them directly, but certainly with their friends in Silicon Valley. You know, what you can and cannot post on Facebook or uh, Twitter, what have you, put the wrong thing, you're all of a sudden you're canceled, deplatformed. Uh, now they want to, uh, Biden wants to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to go through all of our uh, bank records and see who's spent what on, on, on what sort of thing. And is that unusual or strange, or should that be, you know, basically audited? And I, I, they're not just going to stick with the 1%. They're going to be looking at all sorts of people's records if this uh, terrible Build Back Better plan goes through. And I hope uh, uh, those of you who uh, are here has discussed this uh, stay in touch with your senators, uh, Mark Kelly and uh, Kirsten Cinnamon, urge them to defeat the Build Back Better Act, which is basically the Build the Socialism Better Act. And uh, I just can't look at one area of the Democrats, anything they touch that prospers. I mean, they just have the, the, the heavy hand of death on everything you touch, as you mentioned, from the economy uh, to health to, to crime. We just saw this terrible killing uh, uh, the other day. This uh, man took a, uh, a big uh, truck and drove it through this parade. Now a sixth, uh, sixth person has been killed. This little girl uh, died today. She was in that critical condition. She's now dead. So six dead, 48 injured. And this is a result of, again, another Democrat left-wing policy, which is bail reform. Uh, he, uh, I believe, was uh, uh, had absconded from Nevada and had run over his, I think, ex-girlfriend, and uh, was brought in for that. They said, okay, well, bail a 1000 bucks." He was able to raise bail for $1,000 on the 19th, and then this uh, mayhem happened on the 21st, two days later. There's no reason this guy should have been uh, walking around as somebody who was, A, a uh, danger to others, and B, a flight risk. He was both, and if, if you have either rap against you, you're supposed to stay in jail. Instead, he was a danger to the community and a flight risk, and for $1,000, they let him back on the street, and now we have dead bodies and 40 people wounded. Unbelievable. And again, so, someone this, who is on, this yeah, is what happens when you vote Democrat. He was on bail for trying to run down his child's mom to try and kill her with his car, mm-hmm. and he yep. was out... He was out to do that because he was on bail from a previous effort to gun down his nephew. And and I wonder, you know, I just wonder if um, if Joe Biden is going to weigh in on that. You you do talk about in your piece, the Democrats re-racializing society. I have no doubt Joe Biden will not condemn this man. The only one he condemned was the one found innocent of all crime. Well, that's right. And uh, you saw in the Kyle Rittenhouse case that Biden came out and met people in the media and all these folks, oh, Kyle Rittenhouse, he's a a white supremacist and a white nationalist and on and on. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. And, in fact, uh, he said last night to Tucker Carlson, he said, I believe this is a direct quote, I support the BLM movement. Yeah, he did say that. This guy's a BLM supporter. I saw that. that. Not only is he not a white supremacist, he supports BLM. Yeah. So I think he's going to have quite a, a, a payday. And I really hope he gets some good lawyers and sues the living hell out of Biden and these people in the media, others who without any evidence said some of the nastiest things about him. And uh, I think they'll have to pay and pay big, and I hope they pay till they hurt. See, so we've already proven you wrong. There is something the Democrats have made better, wealth creation. They have made Nick Sandman (laughs) (laughs) much wealthier, and they will be making Kyle Rittenhouse much wealthier now. Go. Maybe we shouldn't do it one at a time, DeRoy. But there might, there, there might. As long as we're about wealth creation, I say just keep, keep at it. The edu- the education part. You mentioned education. Your mayor, 
your mayor, who today was praising Malcolm X, by the way, your mayor. How wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your mayor is scrapping gifted programs in the name of equity? Mm-hmm. I thought yes, we went through right. this debate a long time ago, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I well, guess definitely, not. that's the exact term, soft bigotry of low expectations. The basic idea, I won't say it quite out loud, but the basic idea is that they, they just don't think uh, black and Hispanic kids are able to perform in gifted programs and so on. And so rather than saying, okay, look, we're going to have tutors available, uh, we're going to have websites where you can get all the information you need, here's a, an 800 number you can call and people answer your questions over the phone, whatever it takes to help kids get a get ahead and get a step up. I think we all support that sort of thing. And if that gets some more black and Hispanic kids in the gifted programs, then hallelujah. But instead of doing that, they say, all right, let's take away the gifted programs, program away from everybody so as not to embarrass the black and Hispanic kids because they don't think they're going to make it, yeah. which is terrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is the soft bigotry of low expectations, bringing down the standards for everybody, and then everybody suffers. And it's all based on the idea that, well, black and Hispanic kids, they're just not that bright. So let's not challenge them or even provide additional help if that's what they need. And let's just, uh, you know, dumb down think everything for everybody as we become a, uh, uh, a less sharp and less... Uh, less yeah, no, who, who knew board. when getting rid of the soft bigotry of low expectations in the early 2000s, we would engage in the hard bigotry of low expectations. But that's what it's turned into, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, this is a great piece. It's important. It covers all the issues. And I just wanted to get a minute or two of your time to promote it with the audience, DeRoy. Um, I will tell you, one of the things about this, as I'm thinking about that phrase, soft bigotry, it seems almost each and every one of these fights, whether it's the border, whether it's race, education, you name it, seems like we have been through all this before. We went through it in the late 60s. We went through it in the late 70s. And I think you do make reference to doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. But it mm-hmm. does seem there every time we think we are done slaying liberal or left-wing dragons, more come. Life will find a way, I guess, huh? I had this exact discussion with some folks uh, at dinner last night. We said, you know, these people just never learn. And you think, okay, we finally brought down the Berlin Wall. Right. That's behind us. We finally achieved energy independence. We'll keep that. No, no. The, the communism is coming back. In fact, they think in Chicago they had a, some parade, uh, or I should say demonstration, tied in the whole Rittenhouse situation. Yep. And uh, they were uh, at, uh, calling for, quote, a communist revolution, unquote, those exact words. Yep. Um, we figured we would have taken care of the energy thing after the energy crisis under Jimmy Carter. Here it is again. Yep. And now we've got uh, empty store shelves, which is brand new. I mean, the idea of empty store shelf space in America is almost, you know, it's sacrilegious to our, our religion of capitalism, Capitalism, if you want to look at it that way. And now we've got empty store shelves and, and what seems to be uh, turning into Venezuela light here. Um, so, yeah, Bernie Sanders won. He lessons. said bread lines are a good thing. He's won. Well, there you go. Yeah. So maybe the bread lines are next. Yeah. The left never learns. They, they, they just sit down and rest for about two minutes, and they come back you know, harder and more energetically than, than before. And so we just constantly, constantly have to win these battles and re-win them and re-win them and refight them, and it never stops. You never can take a break. And I think Thomas Jefferson was correct that it really takes eternal vigilance. I think you're right. To defeat tyranny and maintain liberty. Absolutely right, DeRoy Murdoch. I know this was a quickie. We'll have you on longer next time, but I just this was something I needed to get out and promote, uh, if nothing else, than to clear my own conscience. But thank you, you're sir. Good. I appreciate right, your Seth. time. Well, great and to talk brain. to you. Always. Okay. DeRoy Murdoch from Fox News National Review and the London Center, named after a great man in Herb, London. I am Seth Liebson. We will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Sandy has been patiently awaiting in Phoenix. Hello, Sandy. Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I am really frustrated. (laughs) Um, I take my great nieces to the Nutcracker every year for the last 18 years. And we're talking 10, 12 of them. And bought our tickets, excited for this year, because they didn't have it last year. And our performance is in three weeks. I get a letter from Ballet, Arizona, saying that everyone 12 and above has to have proof of vaccination and ID, or they have to have a negative test within 72 hours of the performance, and a certain type of test. Plus, they have to wear masks. Well, (laughs) their moms... I threw it out there, let them decide. I'm inoculated, but I don't believe I need to be showing that to anybody. That's my personal business. And here I am trying to frequent and support the arts that I have done for a lot of years and spent thousands of dollars on with Ballet Arizona, whom we have loved. And the mom said, no. When I told my five-year-old she was going to have to wear a mask during the performance, she cried. The other one said, the three-year-old, she's not going to put it on. And I'm not going to get inoculated in order to go. So this just came out. And I called Ballet Arizona. I said, why Why did you wait so long to inform us of this? And, well, we just made this decision. Hopefully I'm going to get a refund. But that's not even the point. Seth, how far and how long does this go on? And what can we do? The only thing I know what to do is to talk with my pocketbook. And I'll just get my refund and... I just don't know what to do anymore about this. How do we protect our children? How do we protect ourselves? How much do we give in? Okay. First of all, Sandy, I know it may sound um, saccharine, but I mean it not that. I don't mean it to be. I feel your pain totally, completely, in in, in everything you're saying. The people at the Arizona – is it the Arizona Ballet? Ballet Arizona. Ballet Arizona. There's a question they need to answer, and I don't know if anyone has asked them this. And it's a question everyone who mandates a vaccine or a test within 72 hours, I think, needs to answer as well. And that is this. We know that the vaccinated can get COVID. We know this. Right. We know that the vaccinated can transmit COVID. The CDC's very first study out of Massachusetts after they told us to put masks back on after the vaccine was developed told us this. We know th- So we know the vaccinated can get COVID and we know the vaccinated can transmit COVID. Why then is the vaccine as good or better than the testing requirement? I don't understand what they can possibly say. If you test negative, you are proof that you have no COVID, right? If you take a test, you have no COVID. You cannot spread it. You have a vaccine proof card. You have a proof of vaccine. None of that is true. It doesn't mean you don't have COVID, and it doesn't mean you can't spread it. They are perpetuating a lie and a myth for reasons only explainable to them, I suppose, and harming children's mental health 
on the way. The image I won't get out of my head, Sandy, is an Arizona Republic picture on uh, online from about three months ago talking about vaccinating children. And it has a picture of a child, young girl. You know the picture, Bill, I'm talking about? It doesn't work well on radio. I'm just validating. The child has a mask on and is getting sh- a shot in the arm, an injection in the arm, okay, to highlight the story about children vaccines coming. And you can't tell, because of this mask on this child's face, you can't tell, six-year-old girl, I think, whether she's screaming or laughing. You can't tell. And I think that should be the image of our moment. The image of our moment. Are we making our kids scream? Are we reinventing Edward Munch here throughout the country? Or are we making them better, happier, and healthier children and people? We're not. We're not. What to do? Well, I have a few ideas. First of all, all yours are correct. Tell as many people you can about it. And stop going them. Stop going there. Stop giving them your money. And maybe even drive them out of business, quite frankly. I believe our children's and our society's social and mental health is more important than going to the ballet. I just happen to. That's my preference. Absolutely. The second thing. Absolutely. You bet. The second thing. Thank you for that, for agreeing. The second thing is I say we start demanding of everyone running for elected office, particularly state officials, that we demand that they pledge to use at their disposal every power available to prevent any entity from enforcing a mandate on any person under the age of 18. I really do. And if we're really creative, we could structure it to include any institution of business, recreation, or worship for the rest of the population too. But would it be so hard to start start asking – Would it be so hard to start asking elected leaders or potentially elected leaders whether they will pledge to use every power at their disposal to prevent mandates on children over decisions that are best left to their parents so that the state and these institutions dependent on our charity do not replace us as parents? Is it too much to ask that? I think we should ask every one of them that. Absolutely. And can I say, too, I just recently started started substitute teaching because uh-huh. I know the schools are desperate. And I like the littles, so I do elementary. It is <laughs> exhausting. Sure. And what I have found out from other teachers is because these kids, like it, the first graders didn't have kindergarten because it was online. So they're basically kindergartners in first grade. Yeah. And she said, wait till you do the second graders because... They were in person for half a year, online for a year, and now they're second graders, but it's a level of a preschooler kindergartner. You know what, it Sandy? heartbreaking. W- wait till they're 30. You know what we're going to have when they're 30? Yes. We're going to have children in adult bodies. That's what the society is making, children in adult bodies. And it sounds like the Arizona Ballet is run by them, quite honestly. Absolutely. I'll and, fight you this know, with you anyway. I've got to take the break. You're welcome to hold if you have more, but I've got to take the quick news break. Your choice. We'll be right back. I want to thank parents like Sandy who just called in, concerned citizens like Sandy. Sandy, you're always welcome to call back. Uh, It's always interesting to me that someone is forced in this society to to say, you know, I had to call in because I'm so angry I can't take it. Why why should 
beautiful civil institutions drive normal citizens to anger. Why are they doing this? Do they think this is a healthy thing for society? Do they think it's a good idea? What is the point of these these you know congregant settings of recreation if 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 it's to instantiate fear, if it's to implant fear into the children's minds? It's the exact opposite of the whole point of entertaining children throughout the millennia. It's the exact opposite. I was pulling out my uh my old book uh, from Neil Postman, a professor of sociology, uh, passed away a few years back, but one of the most famous professors of sociology uh, in our lifetimes uh, at New York University, Neil Postman, wrote a book on, uh, among other things, he wrote one book called The, uh, the, Dis- the uh, Disappearance of Childhood. And he was talking about how children learn in this section through fairy tale. And it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of those old fairy tales, grim and forward, <laughs> They, they, they were pretty stark. They were pretty strong medicine. And he wrote this. The importance of fairy tales lies in their capacity to reveal the existence of evil in a form that permits children to integrate it without trauma. Children can understand evil. If they are integ- if it is integrated without trauma, he continues to write. This is possible not only because the content of fairy tales has grown organically over the centuries and is under the control of adults, but also because the psychological context in which the tales are told is usually reassuring and is therefore therapeutic. You put children in fear of one another, in fear of their parents, in fear of making their parents sick, in fear of not doing the right thing, telling them they have to cover up their faces or get a shot for something that will not affect them. And if they don't, they're endangering themselves or possibly their parents or their friends or their teachers. You have erased everything reassuring. You have erased everything therapeutic. And you are creating mental and social trauma. Let me tell you something. Using kids for these adult political games, it may not be a sin in any theology, but I'm telling you it's a moral sin. It's a moral sin to use children for adult political games. And it's an even worse sin to dangle and hang over them Christmas time or holiday time entertainment. Holding that as the ransom. That's what these organizations are doing with our children. Shame on all of them. Shame on all of them. They should lose their charters, not just their donations. Mike is in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. Say, number one, I would like to say thank you very much for your interview yesterday with the candidate for Attorney General Abraham Hamaday. Yeah, wasn't he great? Wasn't he just great? Couldn't. It'd be great if we had a whole bunch of people like him. We'd have no problems anymore about that part. The I, I touch real fast here. Uh, what I'm observing here uh, is what is now being called a fifth-generation warfare, not like the old fourth-generation where we called it asymmetrical, but this is a new type of warfare. And the idea here is to not use weapons like guns 
as I recall in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the prosecutor had said if he wanted to get into a fight, he should have used his fists. And we had another example of that on the weekend when in the parade, then somebody uses a vehicle to run people intentionally. Killed more people than Kyle Rittenhouse. Absolutely. And more than uh, double the number, more than double the number. And the numbers still climbing. Yeah, evidently, sadly, I just learned that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, another example is to be hitting somebody in the head with a skateboard. Sure. And also, also, we see all these piles of bricks mysteriously appearing. Now, I'll agree they've been using rocks in warfare at least since back at David and Goliath time. But yeah, this is this is something completely different. It, it would, uh, as as an example, it would be. A kind of an information warfare, kind of. Hold, hold along the thought, the lines. Mike. This is a deep concept, and I, I've got the short segment with the quick, quick break. If you can hold, if you have the time, I, I have the air. We'll be right back. The awesome burning power of love. Mike and Maricopa, thanks for waiting with me, Mike. You were on to something pretty deep here, and I wanted to make sure you got your uh, full uh, full thought through. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, very good. I thank you very much. The We had kind of left off. We were talking about information warfare or as a part of this fifth-generation type of warfare. And it kind of uh, it found your monologue very interesting because of that sequence of yes or no questions oh, okay. of how you, <laughs> you work through the, well, if it's this, then it must be that, yeah, right? Right. And that that part. So that that would be a kind of as an example of part of that information aspect of the fifth generation warfare. Now, in this type of warfare, this is more of a covert type, is because now it's much harder to tell who's behind it, who's behind the funding. You know, in the past, we used to have a proxy war but this is not a proxy war like it was going on in the with Afghanistan and the contras in Central America in the 1980s because it was pretty obvious we didn't have boots funding. on the ground in, a, in in any kind of formal action yeah right 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 I'm with you keep going. right but yep. but but the Soviets were funding the Afghan yep. army yep and we were funding the Mujahideen where they didn't actually, it wasn't this army meets that army, it was more of a proxy war. For us, right? I mean, the Soviets were flying hind helicopters into Afghanistan and targeting it. I mean, we were funding the Afghans, the Mujahideen, to fight back against the Soviets, right? I mean, that's... Correct. And in places like Nicaragua, you're right, it was really proxy by both sides. Yes, I'm with you. Go, I think. Keep going. You bet. Okay, so in this type of warfare, it's more of a human terrain. It's not like a geographic type of a terrain, because it's kind of in the mind type of thing. It's a war of ideas, and and that's kind of the thing. And we've touched about this before, as we explained as the rules of war. Number one is to realize you are at war. This isn't just some protest between Antifa or Black Lives Matter. This is a different 
new type of warfare. The next one, we have to realize who's the enemy. And number three is to define the battlefield that you're on. And that kind of ties it back to your interview yesterday with uh, Abraham Hamaday for the candidate for AG when he was explaining the real issues of about what's going on with the southern border and the cartels Mm -hmm. and mentioned in that part. And and it's almost a, a three or four things fronts that are going on here. You've got the invasion coming up across the southern border. You had that lady that just called in and they're tormenting these children and have to have all these vaccinations and masks and tests and everything. Mm-hmm. And used, used to it would be called psywar or psyops, yep. like psychological warfare. Yep. But the new term is, and it's been in for a while, but psyops and psywar seem to have stuck well. And that new term is called MISO, M. ISO, and it's Military Information Support Operations. I guess they changed that name. I guess maybe they thought that Psywar and PsyOps was too harsh of a, a term, but that's kind of what, what is actually going on here right now. And in closing, I would like to say Happy Thanksgiving, thank you. and thank you so much for what you do. And on on behalf of myself and all the CES radio family, we all wish you a very happy Thanksgiving, and thank you. Oh, Mike, aren't you kind? Thank you very much. Do you have the sense, Mike, that this Thanksgiving just feels a little more pregnant and important than previous ones? Something about it does to me, and I can't put my finger on it. I'm looking forward yes, to it more than I have in many years. I can't put my finger exactly on it. There's a feeling about something going on in the city right now, it feels like. It it seemed like as before it was like, I don't want to say drudgery. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, okay. yeah. No, that, no like, you're right, though. Yeah, there was a rolling of the eyes, where, whereas this, this year it feels a little more, a little more encouraging, looking forward to it, doesn't it? We're like horses in the starting gate at the Kentucky Derby. We can't wait for that bell to ring. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let me do. Let me do an informal poll. I'm just curious. What is is Turkey the main the main center of your Thanksgiving meal? Is it is 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 a turkey being yes, cooked or fried or something? Okay. Tur- turkey, yams, uh, the classic the cranberries, classic. pumpkin pie, and lots of pumpkin cool pie whip. and the cranberries. Bill, do you have Fraser Crane's dad? Did you ever watch Frasier, the show Frasier, with Kelsey Grammer, Mike? Yes, sir. There's a great Thanksgiving episode where Marty Crane, Frasier's dad, is trying to instruct Daphne, the English helper, uh, on how to do a Thanksgiving meal. And she's trying to make it all fancy and homemade and she's, you know, stirring up cranberries and making some kind of pumpkin mush and he's saying, you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. The cranberries, listen, listen to this, Mike. Y'all, y'all, this is worth a chuckle, just a little levity for the holiday. Listen to this. Wait, wait, wait. What are you doing? I'm mushing the potatoes. By hand, you're supposed to whip potatoes. That way, every bite tastes the same. Well, isn't that a bit bland? Hello. Welcome to potatoes. <laughs> Could you just once cook a traditional Thanksgiving meal? I mean... Look at this cranberry sauce. It's supposed to keep the shape of the can. 
quiver a little bit. What are all these little chunks in there? Those are cranberries. Dad, here you are. Uh, one frozen pumpkin pie as uh, requested. Honestly, wouldn't you rather I just bake a pie from scratch? Is it that you can't learn or you won't learn? Isn't that, isn't that great, Mike? Is it that you can't learn or that you won't learn? <laughs> <laughs> Marty Crane is right. The cranberries need to maintain the shape of the can. There should not be cranberries in there. <laughs> the pie needs to be frozen, and the potatoes need to be bland. Bland. <laughs> yep. What's the sense of having the potatoes? Yeah, what's the had? sense of it? <laughs> well, your call was smart, Mike, and uh, great and warm. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, and I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving, too. Well, thank you, Seth, and God bless you. The point you're making, the point Mike's making, folks, is an important one. It's a really, really good war for the side that fights it when the other side doesn't know it's taking place. Imagine imagine some kind of invasion where the invaded don't realize there's an occupation army coming in. A kind of odd odd situation where we are so aslumber that we don't realize that the knives are coming and the boots are coming and then we wake up and we realize the world we live in is occupied by an invading force well we don't have the force we're all americans here but we do have an invading ideology and it's grown stronger and stronger and stronger I have a theory as to how some of this conservative reticence came about. I've told many of you I've been rereading a lot of books I read when I was younger, and I've been rereading them and learning so much more now with, you know, the time, the experience, perhaps a slightly more developed uh, brain. I don't know. But one of the interesting things – how much time do I have, Bill? I have a minute. One of the in- – one of – let me save it for the other side of this break. I'll tell you what I have learned from rereading some of these old books from the 50s and 60s about why conservatives have been so slow to join the fight. We'll be right back. I was talking about Sarah Evans just the other day with a couple of friends, one of whom was from Oregon. And, um, boy, she had such a great voice, such a great voice. Why, why have conservatives been so, uh, so slow on, on fighting this invading ideology? You know, it was um, when, when, the Berlin, when, the, when the Berlin Wall fell. And uh, freedom started to reign over Europe. We all let out a big gasp. Yet only a few people were perspicacious enough to point out that though we had defeated communism abroad, we hadn't defeated it everywhere. We hadn't defeated it in China And we hadn't defeated it in Cuba, and we hadn't defeated it on our American college campuses. And its real growth stock ended up being the American college campus. I submit to you that when we discounted what was going on in our colleges, 
as just youthful indiscretions. We all had them. We all believed silly things in college. It would change when the students left. We were wrong. We were wrong. Those ideologies were a lab leak from the Ivory Universities, much more dangerous than anything out of Wuhan because it affects our brains. It affects our brains. But going back and reading these old books from the 50s and 60s, I think one of the things I didn't appreciate and I'm learning now and any other historians or social historians or people just interested can aid me if I'm wrong. Help me out here if you think I'm wrong. I didn't realize how much Joe McCarthy dominated the mind and the writings of the liberal movement in America way beyond his death. The idea of becoming like Joe McCarthy, the idea of McCarthyism, the idea that you would speak ill of communism and thus be labeled a McCarthyite, attached to and was attached to, imputed to conservatives and Republicans for decades, decades. And Republicans and conservatives did not want to be labeled McCarthyites. I didn't realize how much of a weapon Joe McCarthy was against the conservative movement for decades after his passing and how many conservatives were cowed into silence lest they be called McCarthyite. They're doing the same thing now, except they're not calling us McCarthyites. They're the new McCarthyites. They are calling us racists and white supremacists. And it cows us into silence. Do not be cowed. Do not be cowed. Do not be silenced. I'll put it better yet. Be not afraid. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. The Hallmans are in the house. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.